This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Charles Osgood is off today. I'm Lee Cowan, and this is Sunday Morning. We're celebrating the 239th anniversary of the birth of our country this Independence Day weekend. It's also, though, the 150th anniversary of the birth of the U.S. Secret Service. Agents are always potentially in the line of fire, but we usually don't notice they're there. But the Secret Service has been standing out of late in ways its new director has been tasked to change. We'll take a look at those not-so-secret challenges for the Secret Service ahead in our cover story. Then, funny girl Amy Schumer is extending her funny bone into a whole new medium and still keeps her sharp wit as sharp as ever. Our Mo Rocca can certainly vouch for that. Between stand-up dates and having a hit TV show, Amy Schumer somehow found time to write and star in a movie. Uh, this is Amy. 
I think you butt dialed me. When you finished the script, did you have a moment going, oh my gosh, this is like my diary? This did feel different. This was like really pulling back the curtain, like what's really going on with this girl? Do you remember having me, Matt? Yes, I do. I'm okay. so sorry. Later on oh. Sunday morning, we go home with Amy Schumer. Did you just say I'm so sorry? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a slice of life is what Bill Geist found in a remote and seemingly unlikely place. About a three-hour drive from Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the middle of nowhere. Oh, my <laughs> Oh, girl, this is good. You might stumble upon a tiny speck of a town that takes its quirky name quite seriously. There is a responsibility to have pie here. I feel it. An obligation. It is. Later on Sunday morning, the long, long road to pie town. It's no cakewalk. Rita Braver shows us the avid collector's most prized postage stamps. We'll follow the travels of Charles Kuralt through the eyes of one of his fans, Lou Shell. David Edelstein reviews a full weekend's worth of summer films and a lot more. Next, the Secret Service in the line of fire. And later... I got in a boat and shot pictures of alligators following Charles Kuralt's Trails and Tales. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. The U.S. Secret Service is on high alert at the White House this 4th of July weekend. Of course, special agents are always in the line of fire. But the kind of fire the agency is under right now is something else entirely. As we're about to see, in this morning's cover story. It was raining at the White House in March of 1981, and U.S. Secret Service agent Tim McCarthy had just bought a new suit. And it was not the typical polyester suits. If this was a, a real good suit, it was raining. He splurged. I did. <laughs> and, Hoping uh, to stay out of the drizzle, uh, the he and another agent flipped for who would accompany President Ronald Reagan to the Washington Hilton. We flipped a coin, and I went. Uh, which was fine until I got shot. Mr. President! John Hinckley Jr. fired six shots in a matter of seconds, all aimed at the president. All I saw was what I thought was uh, a flash of the gun and exactly where it was coming from. What did you do? You, you heard it, you turned toward it? And I knew where the shot was coming from. There's no doubt in my mind. And I turned in that direction. And just made yourself as... Why yeah, as you could. yeah, yeah, kind of. McCarthy blocked the bullet with his own chest. It hit my rib, went down through my lung, liver, and diaphragm, and ended up my lower back. No agent has taken a bullet for a president since. And yet, to this day, McCarthy still regrets that one of Hinckley's shots got by him. There's a, a, a sense that you did your job and a sense that you failed because he was still shot in spite of, of everything that was done. He was still shot, so that's a failure. Most would call McCarthy's actions heroic, not a failure, especially in light of the not-so-heroic Secret Service headlines of late. These have been hard times for the once-proud Secret Service. Everybody out right now. Go back. Everybody into the park. Right in September, park. an Army veteran carrying a knife made it over the White House fence and all the way to and through its unlocked front door. That lapse in security followed some lapses in judgment. Three years ago, 
a group of agents were disciplined for inviting prostitutes to this hotel ahead of President Obama's trip to Colombia. And then just four months ago, agents coming back from a night of drinking were seen disrupting an active bomb investigation. We don't have an alternative. We've got to fix this. Elijah Cummings, the ranking Democrat on the House committee that oversees the Secret Service, is one of many Capitol Hill critics demanding that the agency get its act together. A large part of the Secret Service effectiveness is the image and the reputation. And people believe that they cannot pierce their protective veil. If something tragic happens to the most uh, powerful and influential leader in the world, that's a national security problem. The paint is barely dry on the door of the man brought in to fix the mess. Joe Clancy, a 27-year veteran agent who was once head of President Obama's protective detail. Any mistake that we make is critical. We, we have a zero tolerance for failure. We can't make mistakes. Are you confident that what you've done since taken over it will prevent any more missteps? Well, there's no guarantees, and uh, every day all of us wake up with that concern. Those who want to do harm to any of our protectees, you know, they're working just as diligently as we are. His first order of business, better training. Hands up, sir. Hands up. Hands up. Recruits spend weeks at this Secret Service facility outside Washington. Fence jumper drills have now taken on particular urgency. Jumper! Jumper! In addition to the uniform division, Secret Service attack dogs like Rocky train here too. Bring the dog to me! Bring the dog to me! It's all about doing better next time. Bill Glady helps train dogs to attack the attackers, like this. We've got to expose the dogs, the handlers, um, the officers, or the agents to different scenarios every day to make sure that we're consistently ready because the bad guys will change. There are mock-ups of Air Force One and Marine One here. And Clancy has asked Congress for $8 million to build a full-scale replica of the White House here, too, to replace the parking lot they train in now. We would like to have uh, that so that our people can train uh, with the same exact distances, same type of fountains and bushes. History, however, shows that most attacks come outside the White House. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. Seared into the nation's memory is that awful day in Dallas in 1963. And the quick thinking of Special Agent Clint Hill. I can still see Clint Hill climbing on the back of that vehicle and forcing the First Lady, Mrs. Kennedy, back into her seat and then lying prone over Mrs. Kennedy. Mr. Ford was surrounded by his usual complement of Secret Service agents. When Gerald Ford was shaking hands in Sacramento, it was Special Agent Larry Buendorf who tackled Lynette Squeaky Fromm, a member of the Manson family, during an assassination attempt in 1975. Unbelievably, just 17 days later, another would-be assassin tried to gun Ford down outside a San Francisco hotel. My God, there's been a shot. There's been a shot. I mean, it takes a lot to be an agent. It takes a different type of person. Alan Billadu, at one time assigned to protect Vice Presidents Dick Cheney and Joe Biden, now runs assassination drills like this one. I think a lot of people have a hard time sort of wrapping their heads around why someone would be willing to take a bullet for somebody else. It's a heavy toll on not you personally as an agent, but also your family. 
and just the job description, as you just said, you know, try explaining that to your family, what you do every day on the shift, it's tough. Remarkably, just one agent has been killed while protecting a president, President Truman. The officer was Leslie Kofeld. He was uh, standing post right here. Uh, it happened across the street from the White House. Truman was staying here, President Truman. He was staying right there. He was right staying there. in the Blair House uh, from 48 to 52 uh, as they were refurbishing the, the White House. Two Puerto Rican nationalists tried to fire their way into Blair House. Kofeld was mortally wounded, and yet... Not thinking of his own injuries, uh, stood up and braced himself so he could steady himself and took a shot uh, and hit the assailant uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the ear, as I recall. But rarely are they in the spotlight. Instead, Secret Service agents are generally on the fringes of history, those unknown faces in the crowd who have a front row seat to world events. When you're on the job, you're thinking two feet in front of you. You're not thinking about history, and you're not thinking about speeches or uh, anything along those lines. You're, you're looking for where the next threat might be. It was Abraham Lincoln who created the Secret Service 150 years ago. And ironically, it was on the very day he was assassinated. But he never intended the Secret Service to protect him or the office. Its sole purpose back then was to battle the rise of counterfeit money, which by 1865 amounted to as much as a third of all the money in circulation. Today, fighting counterfeiters remains its primary investigative mission, although now it includes hacking and data breaches as well. Most of what these agents do well we'll likely never know about. And while it may be struggling with current problems, the past 150 years shows the Secret Service has had more successes than failures. It's up to us to, to live up to that legacy that those who came before us left us. And the people that we have coming on board, are, uh, I think the American people would be proud of. As for Tim McCarthy, he never did get his new suit back. He's now chief of police in Orland Park, Illinois. See you, Casey. <laughs> He knows it's what he did that day, 34 years ago, that still stands for the best of what the Secret Service can be. Did you feel like you were a hero? No. Well, uh, I thought he did my job. That was most important to me. What I take away from it for the rest of my life is that when uh, I was called upon to do my duty, I did it. Next. It became rare. There's only two of them in the... World. Avid collectors coming up post-haste. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Fireworks for the 4th, the perfect postage stamp for this holiday weekend. Those who study stamps are called philatelists. It's a pretty good cocktail party word. And Rita Braver has been talking to one of the most enthusiastic collectors of all. Welcome aboard the Martha Washington. Come ahead on board. Step aboard. Captain David Robinson not only loves piloting his tour boat down the waterways of Richmond. And that's how Richmond got its name, named after Richmond, England. This particular one was an original David Robinson find. This he also loves all things Virginia, especially Martin. his stamps. I have some stamps here from the Confederacy, and this is the first Confederate stamp. It had Jefferson Davis's picture on it. He first started collecting at the age of 10. What made you stick with it? Uh, girls. <laughs> girls? 
because I found, wow. <laughs> I found that I could make money buying and selling stamps and the having of money translated into the geeky kid being able to get the girl. Had money to take her out. Absolutely. He's been collecting ever since and recently made his biggest find ever. But the story really begins in 1918 when the U.S. Postal Service issued a stamp in honor of the Jenny, a World War I-era biplane. The stamp was red and blue. And they printed one with the blue upside down. One sheet? One sheet. Those stamps are now worth millions and far out of reach for people like David Robinson. But in 2013, the U.S. Postal Service decided to commemorate its most famous mistake, purposely issuing a new upside-down Jenny stamp. And then the Postal Service did something really tricky. They announced they printed 100 with the airplane right side up. And those, of course, became the ones to have. Yes. And uh, all of a sudden, the stamp collecting world is shaken upside down. So David Robinson wanted one, badly. If you're going to open them the correct way, which is sort of slowly and savor the experience, you got to get it out of the plastic first. So then you got to get the cardboard. You got to <laughs> dispense with the cardboard. He ended up spending almost $41,000 on sheets of Jenny's. Yeah. Not a winner. No cigar. And you did this 2,000? 2,900 times. That's when Robinson finally struck gold, finding a sheet of right-side-up Jenny's. And he sold it at auction for $45,000 to an anonymous buyer. I beat the odds. Of course, Robinson is part of a proud tradition of stamp collecting. Once upon a time, stamp collectors, known as philatelists, seem to be everywhere. In New York and across the nation, first sales of the new three-cent stamp celebrating the movie's 50th anniversary. And everywhere it's a field day for the stamp collectors. There are still die-hard collectors and some budding ones. But it's clear the hobby has lost a bit of its luster, which seems a shame to this man. I think American stamps tell the story of the American experience. Former Postmaster General Patrick Donahue. If you go back to the first postage stamps, uh, Washington and Franklin, uh, the founding fathers of our country, probably around the turn of the century, 1900, we started issuing what's called commemorative stamps, and that's where we got into the history of the U.S. And now we've evolved over time into culture and even things like birds and flowers. The story of American stamps is on display at the Smithsonian's National Postal Museum in Washington, D.C. So I know there's a very important stamp that you're going to show me in here. Yes, the number one seller of all times. And here it is, Elvis <laughs> Presley. When it went on sale in 1993... There it is. Crowds went wild. The Elvis stamp tattoo right there, ladies and gentlemen. Elvis may be the king of stamps, but the gallery where he sits in state was funded by the king of stamp collectors, billionaire Bill Gross. He's a co-founder of the global investment firm 
PIMCO, so important he made headlines last year just for changing jobs. But when it's time to relax... My Saturdays and Sundays were always stamp collecting with uh, sports programs, and so I... I you'd sit there with your collection and you'd be watching TV? Yeah, and hopefully not get too excited <laughs> <laughs> and rip up one of the stamps. He sold many of his stamps and given the money to charity, but acknowledges spending more than $100 million on his hobby over the years. Your aim was seriously to collect a copy of every single stamp that the U.S. put out in the 19th century, every single one. Yes. And how many were there? Well, um, there's probably 350 to 400 in, in total. That includes this one issued in 1868. Doesn't look that interesting, does it? But only two exist in the whole world. And he also got his hands on a more recent rarity that might look familiar. Remember that anonymous buyer of David Robinson's big find? This one, that, as you can tell, is uh, right side up. And uh, so I call it the inverted inverted. That's right. Bill Gross was the winning bidder. Did I know what it was worth? Absolutely not. Um, I, I simply knew that maybe at some point uh, it could, could be worth 100000 <laughs> Please accept my thanks for letting me show off the greatest city in America. Thanks for coming out. David Robinson, back captaining his boat, doesn't care if Gross makes a profit off the deal. For him and his wife, it's not really about the money. We're famous. Gail and I are written into philatelic history now. Our picture was on the front page of Lynn's Stamp News. For someone like you, this is a really big deal. It's the pinnacle of, of, of stamp collecting, is to make an original discovery like this. And basically, every stamp collector in the world for a few weeks, I want to be him. <laughs> Like, my mom it was one of those moms that was like, you don't need to shave above your knee. <laughs> Ahead. So here up, I was just a werewolf, like, just... The outspoken comedy of Amy Schumer. The first... Oh, girl, this is good. Dessert in the desert. As easy as pie. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is a true holiday slice of life. As good as all these pies look, imagine shelves and shelves of them. That's just what Bill Geis found in his slice of the American Southwest. On a lonely stretch of highway in New Mexico's high desert. Galaxies light years away are more easily found than lunch. I'm starving out here. This sign seemed a mirage. Then suddenly, the Pioneer Restaurant appeared. Oh, oh my, my. Yeah. Oh, girl, this is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is wonderful. 
delicious. Is this a poo-poo platter of pies? It's a plethora of pies. Good grief. There's more. <laughs> when proprietor Kathy Knapp first came here on a family road trip 20 years ago, Pie Town was just an illusion. The sign on the door said there used to be pie in Pie Town. Ain't no more. No and, pie? And it had a four sale. And my mother said, you buy it, I'll bake the pies, they'll come. It's Pie Town. Which seemed a rather impulsive reaction. You see a place that's closed and you're on vacation and you just buy it. Well, my mother wanted to put the pie back in Pie Town because she knew she could. She was a pie lady. And did people come? No. <laughs> Not at first. I need pie. Voila. Oh, my God. But today, pie pilgrims come from far and wide. 300 miles just for a piece of pie. And I see them wanting to take their kids on a road trip, like my mother took us, and get off the highway and go to the little strange places where people still talk to people and let their children feel that experience that they're not going to get on an interstate. Hmm, this is great. Oh, boy. What would the next one be? Bill, I think we're out of pie after this. <laughs> They're running out of pie. Astonishingly, a second pie place was opened just down the road by baker Michael Rawl. Yeah. The Good Pie Cafe. Rawl has since sold the cafe, but still frequents the place as its unpaid pie consultant. Kathy's a wonderful woman, but are your pies better? Of course. <laughs> no, you know, people would love to see us like in some sort of mean competition, but no. we're actually good friends. And we, we alternate our days open so that there's always a place open for people. There is a responsibility to have pie here. I feel it. An obligation. It is. I'm starving. How about you? These guys had ridden all the way down the Continental Divide Trail from Canada been looking forward to this for, what, about 10 days of motorcycle riding? Man, that is so good. It's like the power of pie, you know, this obsession. That and maybe the altitude. At 8,000 feet, there's a lack of oxygen, and you'll get a little giddy and happy, <laughs> and we call it pie happy. It is heaven. So, how did this high, happy place come by its name? Why not Cakeville or Profiterole Heights? In 1922, a guy named Clyde Norman was headed across this U.S. Highway 60, and it was the first coast-to-coast -coast highway, and uh, he broke down and started making pies on the side of the road in order to get going again. Hence the name, Pie Town. Uh, Is this you in here? Uh, yeah, that's me right there. Oh, wow. Catherine Roberts' family came here in 1936, fleeing the Depression and the Dust Bowl, along with hordes of others. Catherine was having the pinto bean pie. The cowboys would come from ranches over there, you know, going one way or the other, and they would stop, and the cowboys started saying, let's stop at Pie Town. Over the years, such hard-scrabble pioneers settled Pie Town. Pioneers like Kathy. She put the pie back in Pie Town. And what kind of pie are you having? Apple cranberry. I love that pie. And there's only one way to get it. 
It's perishable. It's a point of purchase pie. They smell great. They are great. You got to come to Pie Town to get a Pie Town pie. It's worth the drive. Next, one man, 669 rescued children. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It happened this past week, the passing of a World War II-era hero who spent much of his life unrecognized. For we learned of the death outside London this past Wednesday of Nicholas Winton. A stockbroker by trade, Winton went to Czechoslovakia in December of 1938 to try and save the children of refugees fleeing Nazi Germany's advance. A mission for which he admitted to 60 Minutes last year he had no relevant experience. I work on the motto that if something's not impossible, there must be a way of doing it. And find a way of doing it, he did. Beginning in March of 1939, Winton arranged, through bribery and guile, to have seven trainloads of young refugees pass through Germany to Holland, where a ferry carried them to safety in England. Their parents had to be left behind, most never to be seen again. In all, Winton saved 669 children, most of them Jews. In the years that followed, Nicholas Witten resumed his quiet stockbroker's life, his wartime exploits coming to light many years later, only after his wife discovered a hidden notebook detailing his rescue efforts. Could you stand up, please? On a 1988 BBC broadcast, Wynton, like he was reunited around? with many of the by-then middle-aged refugees he had saved. Thank you very much indeed. And in 2003, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth. In that 60 Minutes broadcast, he was asked why he had kept his selfless deed secret for so many years. I didn't really keep it secret. I just didn't talk about it. Nicholas Winton was a remarkable 106 years old. This is absolutely one of the birthplaces of our nation. Coming up, Coming Steve Hartman finds history at the drugstore. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It happened here. That's the proud boast only an expert can make about some obscure spot and how it's linked to some historical event. But it's just the kind of expert our Steve Hartman has been following around. This week, I went searching for the birthplace of America in a Baltimore Rite Aid. Yeah, away. could it be in the Photoshop? No, I think Are it was closer to, to that end, yeah. Could it be Sorry. down here at pharmacy? Uh, probably closer to this end. Andy Carroll, a faculty member at Chapman University. Could be with the mascara. Is the one yes. who discovered the historical significance of this particular spot of land. But it's essentially in this vicinity, in, in, this, in this area. There's a whole world out there waiting to be found. I mean, these sites exist in cities and towns across America. What Andy does, for fun, is research events that have been mostly forgotten, then tracks down exactly where those events happened. Like this California apartment building, where the man who invented the electronic television did his first experiments. 
or the Iowa Laboratory, now parking garage, where the first American car was built, or the New York street corner, where the first cell phone call was made. I love the idea that people walk past these places every day having no idea that this extraordinary event took place right in their own neighborhood. This is it. His latest discovery centers on nothing less than the Declaration of Independence. There are several versions of the Declaration, but this version, printed a few months after the original by a woman named Mary Catherine Goddard, played a crucial role in the war, which we were losing at the time. Congress was literally on the run, and they wanted to send a message that the, that the country was still united, far from beaten, and so Mary Catherine Goddard distributed this new Declaration of Independence, but this time it had all the signers. It's listed. the first time we saw all the signers. Exactly. It was on her copy. On her copy. And I think it helped solidify and really rally the nation at a time when it was desperately needed. Which brings us back this is, here. This is where it happened. To the makeup aisle and at Rite Aid, likely site of Mary Goddard's print this shop. Is one, this is absolutely one of the birthplaces of our nation. Of our, You're saying that in front of the lipstick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sort of the beauty of it, you know, no pun intended. I mean, it is that, that, that these places are hidden. Ironically, right near the Americana display. We are, I know, it actually is very fitting, so. Yeah. So, to honor the woman who helped make our picnics possible, Andy installed a plaque inside the drugstore. But more importantly, Andy hopes her story, this story, reminds people that you don't need to go to the Smithsonian to go back in time, that there may be a lot of history right under your massaging gel insoles. Next. Go to class. Amy Schumer. Strictly for laughs. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. I don't think bragging's cool. Are you okay? You're like choking. No. Are you allergic to talent? Um, hi. Hi. It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Lee Cowan. That's a funny girl Amy Schumer on the stand-up circuit. She's been a big hit on TV as well, and now she's bringing her provocative brand of comedy to the movies. Mo Rocca has our Sunday profile. If I take my clothes off with a guy, I'm like, you're welcome. And uh, he's like, is that cellulite on your foot? And I'm like, maybe. <laughs> Why is sex such great source material? Because it's an opportunity to be really honest about something that a lot of people aren't being open about. If you can be that honest about something that's so seemingly forbidden, because that's when the most ridiculous stuff happens. You're boom, man. He's just like, it's just like slowly, like, I'm like, um, sir, as soon as I start talking about sex. Amy Schumer no, like will tell you exactly right. what's on her mind as she did recently at a sold-out show at New York's Beacon Theater. I'm a good person, I swear to God. I uh, adopted a rescue pug this week, um, right? Oh wait, no, I'm sorry, I, I bought a pair of Uggs. What did I say? Just in the last few months, things have changed so much for you. Totally, I feel like for 11 years I've been like, like just little, like little steps, but now it feels like I went from this one level to just like, took a giant leap. From now on, we, we need to just keep it professional. And now she's starring yeah. in a movie that plans. she wrote. What are your plans? Dentist. Is that true? No. In Trainwreck, Schumer plays Amy, a girl who really doesn't seem to want to settle down. 
Her love interest is played by Bill Hader. I was wondering if I could see you again. You know what? I'm going to call the police. Yeah, I'll just talk to you about it tomorrow, okay? Oh, yes. Your character is behaving in a way that we expect guys to behave. Is that intentional? No, it, that never, that's never occurred to me. Girls have this reputation for like being crazy and like marry me, you know, right away. And I don't know any girls like that, actually. Mm -hmm. I know it exists, but for me, with dating, it's like you go out with someone and you're like, nah, didn't really feel right. Guys become the crazy texter. The dynamic in the movie is true to your experience. Yes, the dynamic in the movie is true to my experience. Yeah. Let's take another vote. If anybody thinks that Amy Schumer shouldn't be on the TV because she's not hot enough for whatever reason. How men and women actually see each other provides plenty of material for her Peabody Award-winning TV series, Inside Amy Schumer. Has the world gone mad? This girl thinks she deserves to be on camera? She's not a 10! Sounds like someone needs the 80s ladies. The sketch show on Comedy Central can be silly. No wonder you aren't getting any work done. You don't have a proper phone. Here, try this. And sometimes raunchy. But it's almost never just that. Some of the show's subjects sound like the farthest thing from funny. We do two days. Take the incidents of rape mm -hmm. by student athletes. The show dealt with that issue in a pitch-perfect parody of the football drama Friday Night Lights. No raping. But coach, we play football. My team, my rules. You don't like it? Don't let the door rape you on the way out. The statistics on girls getting raped in colleges is unreal. It's horrible. How about just backing off this whole no raping thing for now? We think this is funny. And also, maybe a girl will see this, that this happened to, and she'll feel less alone. Maybe a guy see it and think it's not cool to, if the girl was sleeping, and it's not cool if I film it. You know, maybe that'll get in there. What if it's Halloween and she's dressed like a sexy cat? Nope. You're perfectly fine with your comedy being labeled feminist. If I'm preaching for women's equality, then uh, sign me up. That's in, it's so crazy that people don't identify as feminist. Lest you think the show just beats up on the boys, it's Schumer who's usually the butt of the joke. I got it now, girl. Playing sad sack? and soused with equal relish. This wedding is slamming. <laughs> okay, you guys, let's dance. It seems like you're harder on no one more so than white girls. Yeah, well, they're yeah, the worst. They're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Take any subway anywhere and you'll be very bummed out by yeah. overhearing yeah. all of their conversations. Kim Caramelli writes for the show. You have nail polish on your knee. It's nice. She's also Amy's younger sister. A lot of those girls will come up to me and they're like, Oh my God, like, I'm you. You're me, like, I'm, I'm you. literally you. No, you're who I'm doing a parody of. The sketch about the universe. <laughs> yeah, that's really a good. Great. That's, is that a good example? Definitely. I was texting while I was driving, and I ended up taking a wrong turn that took me directly past a vitamin shop. And I was just like, this is totally the universe telling me I should be taking calcium. Oh my God. Right? <gasps> universe. Definitely. <sighs> More than anyone, it's white women in their twenties uh, and thirties just it's being ways like, of not having to take any responsibility. For yeah, what happens to them and around them, and and just to think like the universe is thinking about you. Like nobody cares. But the universe hasn't always been kind to Schumer. Born in Manhattan, her family was at first well off. 
You were 12 years old when everything kind of... When she hit the fan. There you go. <laughs> yeah. My dad got MS. We went bankrupt. Um, yeah, that's enough, right? The family moved to Long Island and her parents divorced. In high school, Schumer was popular, captain of the volleyball team. <laughs> and returning to Southside High in Rockville Center, she seemed totally at ease. This is Mr. Reed. This is my teacher. Go to class. Cracking wise, of course. Can we interrupt? And captivating Hi. these students when she walked into their drama class unannounced. This is such a time in your lives when uh, all these like insecurities creep in and you're looking in the mirror like, I don't look like all the Kardashians. <laughs> and, uh, and you think that that's wrong, but it's, it's not. And you should just like totally look in the mirror and just like love yourself and be like, this is the package I come in and I'm just going to embrace it. And don't try and um, make your parents proud because it's impossible. <laughs> Break a leg, you guys. Thank you. So cool. Amy would have like her dad's credit card and she'd be like, tonight we're going to TGI Fridays. And we were all like, whoa. The friends that Schumer made in high school, like Denise O'Connor and Caroline O'Mara, are still some of her closest. On this day, they were celebrating Schumer's recent birthday. It's a cake, but it reminds me. Yes, you can take the girl out of Long Island, but you can't take the Long Island out of the girl. Because you know how much we love our Chardonnay. I actually remember when that yeah. picture was taken. Thank you very much. We belonged to a beach club. Nice. Like when we had money. Yeah, right. <laughs> we went to like a really <laughs> right, fancy pants beach club. She learned to swim. She learned to surf. I'm retired. <laughs> I'm on social Amy's mother, Sandy Schumer, joined us on the boardwalk in nearby Long Beach. Do you ever think, ooh, like with the sex and the booze talk? No. And I know she's telling the truth. I'm never embarrassed. And she's the one who raised me. And of the guys she's dated, have you had a favorite? We've Who's had conversations about a lot, about everybody, actually, she's dated. And Sex and relationships are subjects that Schumer doesn't just joke about. And why do you think that people sabotage relationships? I, I don't know why they do. I know why I do. Should I tell you why? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think... Yeah, the fear of getting hurt. Most relationships don't end well. And I'm 34 and I've been dating for a long time. And even if it's someone who really likes you and you like them, then at this age, then there's some discovery usually that's a deal breaker. So sometimes you, you want to find out the thing that's going to hurt you so much that you, you can almost create it. You can like will it to happen. And then also believing that you deserve love and that you're not just like disgusting and unlovable. <laughs> so the sense I've got from spending time with you is yeah. that you really know how to have a good time. Oh, cool. I mean, really? Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think I do. I look to have fun. I try to, I think that's something also that comes with having a sick parent is you don't know what's going to happen. So I'll be like, I'm so psyched. My legs still work. And I want to like experience all I can and make as many memories as I can. Everybody I meet, I'm like, yeah, he's cool. But would like, would I push him in a wheelchair? Would I want him to push me? Do I want you to change my coloscopy bag? <laughs> like, it's like, you know, it just changes your perspective. You can't help it. Coming up, we're off again. Where Charles Corralt went, Lou Shell has followed. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 
You drive into Tarpon Springs expecting to find just another small town on the Gulf Coast. And the first thing that hits your eye when you step out is Persia slaying Medusa. Founding Sunday morning anchor Charles Kuralt left us with plenty of memories like that of his time on the road. He passed away 18 years ago on the 4th of July. His wanderings, however, continue to inspire, as in the case of Travels with Lou. My name is Indalou Lambert Shell, and I live in Chatham, Alabama. Michelle's life in Chatham, Alabama was pretty busy and full. She played the piano in her church, taught school, enjoyed her children and her grandchildren. She never really had the urge to wander too far from home until... I read Charles Corralt's book. I gave it to my husband as a Christmas present. The book was about Charles Corralt's favorite American places. We're off again to meet a few people on the back roads of America. Many of which he'd visited while on the road for CBS News. And we read the book, thought how wonderful to do something like that when he retired. When her husband of 52 years died, Luchelle thought that her dream of going on the road had died with him. But at age 77, she realized it had not. I asked my four children to come to lunch and told them that I would be spending their inheritance. And their reply was, Mom, go for it. She decided to spend a month in each of Kuralt's favorite spots, rearranging his itinerary so that she and her sister Janie might drive from place to place. On the 1st of January, 2011, they set out. My driveway was filled with neighbors and friends and family and, I always say, a few doubters. And I get in my car and pull out of my driveway with a police escort. First stop, New Orleans, Louisiana. The scenery, so different. And of course, you can always eat your way through. Then, Key West in February, what could be more perfect? We got key lime pie with meringue four inches tall. Charleston, South Carolina. I got in a boat and rode through a former rice field and shot pictures of alligators. And Blowing Rock, North Carolina, where her piano playing skills made her feel right at home. We arrived there April 1st and it was snowing. And I played the piano for church there on Easter Sunday. New York City, the Big Apple, was their next destination. We rented, I suppose you'd call it a, a loft in a brownstone in the Bedford-Stuyvesant area of Brooklyn. As they had everywhere they went, Lou and Janie made good friends. Roy and David were their bedsty neighbors. They would sit out 
on, on their steps in the afternoon, and, and we visited with them, and I felt like became very good friends with them. From New York, they headed north to Woodstock, Vermont, and Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, where sadly Janie was taken ill and had to go home. Undaunted, Lou set her sights and her GPS for Ely, Minnesota. I figured it was like 1,700, almost 1,800 miles. When I saw the Ely sign, I said, thank you, Lord, because I was there perfectly safe and sound. Safe and sound, she drove on to Twin Bridges, Montana, and then by ferry to Ketchikan, Alaska. Last stop, Taos, New Mexico. I always have difficulty saying Taos, and everybody told me, think house. So I automatically think house before I say Taos. 13,000 miles and nearly a year after her journey began, Shell arrived back in Chatham. The same people that lined the driveway the day I left were in my driveway the day that, that I returned home. We've got the little book display over if you want to. With so many stories to tell, Lou decided to write a book. She'd never done that before either. I said before I left, I know you don't put extra verses in the Bible, but I added an extra verse. The Lord protects old ladies and crazies. <laughs> and I just fit into both of those categories. like to think Charles Corrault would have been pleased to meet Lou Shell there in Chatham, Alabama. And even more pleased that she set out to discover for herself the America he loved. There are just wonderful, talented, gracious people everywhere and I, and I met them. And I would do it again tomorrow. Some, some, summer at the movies. David Edelstein. Amy Winehouse. On the movies of summer. Group hug. You too, Anger. Don't touch me. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This holiday weekend is a big movie-going weekend, and our film critic, David Edelstein, as suggestions galore. Some, some summer at the movies when there's no vaccine against raging sequelitis or superheroosis. So here I am to help strengthen your immune system. I'm Joy. This is sadness. For Pete's sake, I hope you've seen Pixar's Inside Act. We're Riley's emotions. Well, the hell with Pete, for your sake. Because this madcap dramatization of a sad 11-year-old girl's mind is a new pop culture touchstone. It's going to help sad girls and boys and grown-ups who grew up from them for as long as there are movies. Otherwise, you're stuck with sequels. Jurassic World, which at least has killer effects. Head 2, Terminator Genesis, Magic Mike XXL. 
The latter, by the way, is not a Roman numeral. Channing Tatum's Mike is a stripper, so it means size matters. The film is actually very fun, transforming the original, a morality play about how capitalism turns sex into a soulless commodity, into a ramshackle road comedy with good dancing and tanned toned torsos driving ladies into paroxysms of lust. Terminator Genesis is terminally lousy, though it does earn props for making something old look new and also old, using old-timer Arnold Schwarzenegger, but changing the timeline to set up fresh sequels, taking an already convoluted premise and adding more convolutions. In 1984, John sent you to it no longer exists. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, lucky you. I now pronounce you teddy bear and wife. Now run, don't walk away from Ted 2, the smutty giant teddy bear's quest to be legally recognized as a person. Do you consider yourself to be human? Objection sustained. No, the witness can't object. Overruled. Sidebar. Guilty. Speculation. Hearsay. Bailiff. Briefcase. Disregard. In my chamber. Stop beaver on the witness. Arrest. We could totally be lawyers. Bang. Not this time, teddy bear. Let's get off the beaten multiplex path. Look out for director Ken Loach's rousing Jimmy's Hall, a sort of period Irish commie footloose. And what's not to like about that? And amazing documentaries like Amy. Amy, just give us a smile and then we can turn the camera off. Do you promise? <laughs> which makes alternately thrilling and depressing sense of arguably the most soulful vocalist of the last quarter century, Amy Winehouse. But I don't think I'm gonna be at all famous. I'd probably go mad, you know what I mean? I would go mad. I haven't yet seen Ant-Man or Minions, but I can say the Amy Schumer sex comedy train wreck. I know she was Sunday morning's profile this week, but I feel bound to add my wise and discerning critical imprimatur is crazy brilliant in anatomizing certain female defense mechanisms. Best sex that you've ever had, guy, is in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I've been thinking about maybe reaching out to him. <laughs> Stop. Train wreck is what keeps up my spirit amid the sequelitis of summer, a sign that some trains are on the track. I'm Lee Cowan. Thanks for joining us. We hope you have a happy and safe rest of your holiday weekend. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.